0: It's always a blessing to be with you. Let's turn into Second Kings four. 2 Kings the fourth chapter. I I don't know if I would call this a sermon or a prophecy. To be honest, um, it's I feel a, an unusual like stirring. It, normally I'm pretty serious as those who you know me about notes and stuff and, but. That's not the case today. Um, Help us, Holy Spirit, as we've been pondering this theme of the prophetic in power. um, I ask, Lord, that you'd reveal your heart about this through me today, um, that you would open, Lord, the scriptures by your spirit beyond what I know and that, that we might hear from you, Lord. Amen. Last night, I talked about cultivating the miraculous. I asked the question, what drew God in the Old Testament outside of Israel to a woman in Jezebel's kingdom? What drew God outside of Israel to a leper who was the greatest oppressor of Israel at the time? How? Why? Like, what is God looking for? And I want to go a step farther um, this morning and talk about contending for the miraculous. I've pondered this a lot over the last months as the Lord has made this an issue with me. And as you know, I have a gift of prophecy and fairly fluent in it. It, it, It's not always easy, but it flows. But I want you to know it wasn't that way in the beginning. Uh, When I was 17 and prophesying, thank the Lord you didn't know me then. Uh, Pastor Brett would have had to put me in a, lock me away and maybe let me out from time to time. Now, I would have given you a prophecy for sure. It just probably would have been from me, not from the Lord. I mean, everybody I met was Billy Graham. So, But what now flows in my life fluently, then it trickled. And hour upon hour, I'd wait before the Lord to hear him and uh, there was a contention. And I want you to know it's one thing to receive a gift from God, it's a whole nother matter to contend for its operation. Pastor Brett's extraordinary speaker, how many of you know that? It didn't start that way. He has a gift of teaching, but years of contending for that. I've known Pastor Brett many years, even in the 24 years I've walked with him, his, his growth is in speaking is astonishing, exponential. People in the body of Christ come to me and talk about it. Now, but there's a contending for that. He may make it look easy, but it's not easy. So it's one thing to have a gift of healing. It's another thing to have a gift of miracles. But that's like God giving you a Learjet and saying, only you can pilot it. There's a contention to fly that thing. And I want to help you understand how do we contend for the gift of healing? Uh, How do we contend for the gift of miracles? Like, what does that mean? What is that process? Because I believe it's interesting in our last bill conference, Pastor Brett was speaking at the banquet and began to move in the word of knowledge for healing. That's not his norm. And it was clear to me then that in our En family, and some of you are probably beyond, God's rebirthing right now the miraculous in our family, but really the body of Christ. You know, I'll ask people all the time, who's consistently moving in miracles, and they can barely remember a name? There's not much of it. We live in a day when there may be a lot of revelation, but there's not many miracles. Not in the body of Christ in America. Now, last night I, I talked about Elijah. You know, I used to always wonder, and I, I still do, why does Elijah represent the prophets? He would, I mean, got Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, um, Isaiah. But there's something special about Elijah. Number one, he was the first man in the Bible to raise someone from the dead. And God thinks so much about him that he, came, he brought him back in the New Testament to pray over his son, and we see him in the book of Revelation. He was also unusually The only prophet we know in the Old Testament that not only passed along his mantle, but his disciple was greater than he was. There may be some obscure things I don't remember, but he did something we don't see. Like there was a healing movement in America in the 1950s. Astonishing. Oral Roberts, all these guys crisscrossing America with power and miracles. There are probably about 100 of them to 200 Where are they today? Gone, and not one of them seemed to pass the mantle. So whatever we now birth, if we don't learn to pass it, if we don't learn to disciple people in the miraculous, it'll die when we die. Now, in prophecy, we do better. You know, Jim and I and others, Reggie, AJ, others. I mean, we're seeing lots of people that prophesy, and that's a wonderful thing. But let's talk about this miraculous now, it's interesting to me, only two men in the Old Testament ever raised someone from the dead. And one was Elijah, the other was Elisha. He had a double portion. He raised one person from the dead, but there was another resurrection associated with his death. A dead man was thrown into his tomb, and God raised him from the dead. Was there some, was a was the gift of miracles living in that tomb? No, but I believe God, by his spirit, wanted to remind them, my prophet spoke right. Yes. Now, The second thing we find is that both of these prophets raised someone from the dead in a home they were living in. Elijah had moved in, Elisha kind of his home away from home, and when he would come, they created space for him. And it's interesting to note that these deaths touched these prophets like no other thing. Elijah was almost frantic. I mean, he, remember, he consumed, fire consumed people that aggravated him. I mean, everyone was afraid of him. By the time three companies of soldiers were killed, they said, please don't kill us, just come. I mean, no, I mean, you never see, a, they, he's scared of him. But when that old woman's boy died, he, it broke him. It broke him, why? He lived there, knew their pain. Elisha, when he saw the, 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 the wealthy woman coming toward him, he dropped everything. And I think what you find when God begins to bring you into the miraculous and into healing, you, all of a sudden you're sensitized to human pain in a new way. Over the last 18 months, I found myself just struck by human pain. I so walking in the Sky Club. I, I fly all the time. And I saw an older man with his wife who could barely walk and he was trying to pick her up and put her in the wheelchair. And it just broke me on the inside in compassion. I was in Home Depot some weeks ago and the man that was waiting on me, um, it basically, his legs had just turned into stubs, just shriveled up. And he was wheeling around helping me. I, I just, something wrenched. In my heart. And I said, Jesus, oh, that he could be healed. He said, if you'd believe, you'd do it. So I felt the Lord like working on my heart to contend for a deeper reality. And that brings me to 2 Kings chapter 4. You know the story. It's the wealthy woman and her husband. She she had one of the, the great revelations. She finally told her husband, I'm tired of seeing him from time to time. I'm tired of getting visited. Perhaps if we made space in our home or our life for him, he'd stay here from time to time. And there's no doubt God wants to bring us all from visitation to habitation. God wants us to have more of his presence, more of his power, more of his life. Of course, he created space for the prophet. And in those days, the prophets represented God in a way we don't even see it today. And they spoke for God. People didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them like we do. So he lived there and sure enough, one day, he began to discern and, and his servant helped him that she was barren and her husband was old and she was in distress. He spoke out to her and he said, this time, Next year, you're going to have a baby. She said, don't deceive me, don't lead me. Many people stop believing, not because they have unbelief, because it hurts so much to believe and not get it. He touched that pocket of pain. She had that baby. And we know, the Bible says, when he was finally old enough to go to work with his dad, finally old enough to go out with the the reapers, he screamed, my head, my head, one thing for sure, her husband wasn't as spiritual as she was. He said, my God, bring mama. I don't know what to do with him. And the Bible said she held him all day, and he died in her lap. Now, this was serious because it had been a miraculous birth. The, the, the prophet in all of Israel had spoken it, and unlike her husband who was just ready to bury him, she refused to bury him. And at that moment, she took this dead boy, her dead dream, And she ran right up the stairs to the place she'd prepared for God and his prophet. And she laid that boy right on the bed where the prophet had been sitting when he spoke to her. And there's a lesson for all of us in that when be careful about bearing your miracle too quickly. Be careful. Now, child grew, father, so father told the servant, I'm that around there in verse 18, carry him to his mama. After the servant had lifted him up, carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon and died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him? He asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's not Sunday. It ain't Wednesday night service down at Grace Covenant. You know, God only works on the Sabbath day and on special times. She said, that's all right. She long ago stopped wasting words on his spirituality. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down unless I tell you. Now, there's a sense of urgency in this passage that is unusual, and I don't fully understand it, but it's almost, the only other time I see it is when the angels and Jesus, the Theophany, were waiting on Abraham. He told it's like, hurry, quick, ran. You see that in this whole story. Like, when, the, when Elijah sees her coming, he says, Gehazi, run and meet her and find out what's wrong. Gehazi do this. Why? I think there are moments in time where it's almost like there's a miracle moment. Like there's a miraculous moment that comes on you. You feel that anointing, you feel that faith, and she's running. Now, so he set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Lysa's there, and and when he saw her in the distance, I don't know how he recognized her, maybe it was an impulse of the spirit, maybe she was close enough, the Bible doesn't say, but when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, look. There's the Shumanite, run to meet her and ask her. Now, why? I think he immediately felt in his spirit something was up. She was riding full tilt on a donkey, did not have the little boy with her. He could feel something was up. He tells his servant Gehazi, run, don't hesitate, get there quickly. So Gehazi comes, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? This woman was anointed enough to realize Gehazi doesn't have it. How many of you know that proves to be true later? Everything's all right, she said. Thank you. When she reached, when she reached, I mean, she knew that before Elisha did. I mean, that boy lived with me, got no anointing on his life. He's always asking, doesn't get any words of knowledge. Is everything all right, she said. Many A lot of times young men go, when will I have the authority you have, pastor? Well, when you have the anointing. When you have the anointing, you'll stop asking the questions. When am I gonna get more opportunities? When you're anointed. The anointing opens doors. Okay, so much for that. Now, she reached the man of God at the mountain. She took hold of his feet. Gehazi, the ever-sensitive disciple, came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord's hidden it from me. Isn't that like interesting? Here's the greatest prophet on the planet. So fluent in revelation. He's just surprised, man, this is unusual. I mean, I I don't have a word of knowledge. Now, why do you think God would do that? Have you ever been in a situation with a person where like your normal discernment doesn't seem to be working? Like normally you're really intuitive and all of a sudden nothing's happening. It's not always about you. It could be about them because God knows many times it's critical for people to own their pain. And instead of you just seeing it and saying, I'm sorry you lost your son, God realized the full extent of her pain needed to come out. And trust me, that wasn't going to take long. And and she goes, did I ask you for a son? Did I ever ask you? In fact, I told you from the beginning, don't raise my hopes. Did I ever ask you? Don't you remember? I begged you, don't deceive me. Don't lead me down this path if it's going to hurt me. Pastor, don't preach that way if it's not going to work. Don't tell us there's miraculous and let us never see it. Don't tell us all these great miracles that you saw when you're young. Where are they? Gideon cried out to God. He told the angel, if you're real, where are all the miracle stories I grew up on? She, She said, I told you. You preached all that to me. You told me about that faith. Here I am. And it ended just the way. I feared. I heard about it. I mean, I went to one of the Spirit-filled churches. Heard about all the gifts of the Spirit. Went to all the classes. It's dead now. I believed, but now it's dead. I think we've got a generation right here in America seething in some pain. We've got a millennial generation deep down saying, show us this stuff. These things that are in the Bible. You can feel it. Elijah said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt and take my staff, the sign of my authority, the sign of my anointing, in your hand and son run. We have a moment here. Don't greet anyone you meet. The Middle East greetings were big deals. And if anyone greets you, don't answer. Lay my staff on the boy's faith. Now, what is happening here? Why didn't Elisha go himself? You know, some say he sent his staff on, kind of like, um, you know, I'm coming, I'll get there. I tend to believe, you remember, when Moses did the first great miracle, he handed that staff to Aaron. And I, I really believe, let me just comment here, and this is only speculation, the necessity of when you begin to walk in an anointing to entrust that to others and let them go is so critical. Because as we birth the miraculous, as the anointing of God's spirit breaks out, and it's going to, as we see more healings and power, as God uses the miraculous to break open the darkness of our culture, the last thing we want to do is so walk in the anointing that we forget to pass that down. Here's his wealthy supporter, This person's close. And he's thought to himself, let me give Gehazi a chance first. He hands that staff. He hands off that mantle. He hands that anointing and Gehazi runs. But the child's mother, a little smarter than he was, surely as the Lord lives and you live, I'm staying where you. I know where the anointing is. I'm staying right here. So he got up and followed her. So Elijah thought, man, I owe this woman. I've stayed in her home. I love this family. So he said, okay, let me go. I've sent my servant. Gehazi went on ahead, laid his staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound of response. He quit. What's the problem here? We know God's going to raise this child from the dead. And I have found when you're contending for a gift, It's not enough to lay your gift out. You've got to lay your life out. If you think it's just going to happen because someone said you had a gift. When God began to birth the gift of prophecy in me and everybody said I have a gift of prophecy, that was wonderful. But there was a laying down of more than that gift. There was a laying down of my life and a contending and a waiting and a burning in me to see that gift. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, boy didn't wake up. Hey, I tried. You know, I know you said I had the healing gift. Kid's dead. I mean, don't waste your time. When Elisha reached the home, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. Couch and bed are really the same here. And that woman had been smart. She put that dead boy in his personal space. She put that dead boy in the very place that prophet had spoken to her, the very prophetic word that triggered that birth. And Elisha comes in, and his heart is rent. And he does something very interesting. He shuts the door on he and that dead little boy. I'll tell you, if you leave yourself a way out, you'll always take it. Well, it's not always God's will to heal. Like, we don't really know when God's gonna heal or when he's not. You know, God don't really raise the dead anymore. We've got doctors. I mean, typically, we are always planning our exit strategy on the way. Well, I'm sorry, God's glorified in death. And how many of you know all those things are true? But I think we're looking for a way out too quick. We're already excusing why it didn't work before we get there. Well, you know, God doesn't normally do this. I mean, they're up in the glory cloud. I mean, we have developed the most comprehensive theology of failure in the history of Christianity. I mean, we've just got a theology of failure. I mean, we've developed Bible verses to support our failure to move in healing and miracles. Now, that's where it gets so scary because there's truth in it. But the Bible says, hold on to one, but don't let go of the other. We've got to hold on why God doesn't heal, but we've barely touched the fact that he does. He shut the door. What's that saying? I'm not coming out. This boy is with me. We quit too soon. We quit too quick. And then we just say, I don't have the gift. In reality, we don't have the heart. When God began to talk to me about the gift of healing and miracles, it scared me to death because I remembered how hard it was in my teens. Now I'm in my 60s, feeling this urging. I can't get away from it. The other day I was talking to God. I said, Lord, if this is really you talking to me, give me a prophecy about it. That's why I'm a little mad at Reggie for doing that. (laughs) When Eliza reached the house... There was the boy lying dead on his couch. Let me tell you, hear me now. God will make sickness up close to you. Do I mean God will make you sick? No, but God's gonna let you face it. God's gonna put it somewhere where it's gonna cost you too much to run away from it. You're gonna face it. You're gonna look at it. There was no escaping this. This was his home away from home. Death was in his bedroom. God will let you face it. He won't let you run from it. There's no escape. Because he realizes, if this little boy dies, it affects me personally. I know this family. Like, they're my second family. They built this house for me. He shuts the door on the two of them and prayed. There was no putting the rod down. There was no, you little, no, he prayed. And he began to ask the Lord, What's it going to take to do this? Because it's only the second one in recorded history. The second one. He remembers his old mentor saying, you know, when, when, when I went up to that room and found that, I took that little dead boy with me, I crawled right up on that bed. He's thinking, hmm, you know, my mentor used to crawl right up on bed with that dead corpse. He goes, I'm going to pray and see if that's for me. <laughs> he prayed, then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand. Touch that eye gate, that mouth gate, touch that physical sense. And the Bible says he stretched himself out. Now, this is interesting. In the Hebrew, when it says he stretched himself out, it really means crouched, it is the exact same word used to describe what Elijah did to break the drought. You remember that? Elijah had Mount Carmel, and Elijah told Ahab, go play. God's up to something. You go have your fun. Wait and see. Ahab played. He prayed. He got on top of the mountain, and it says he crouched down, put his head down. It's the very same word in the Hebrew. Very same expression. And when you study that, what does that signify? We can only conjecture, but that was the very position the majority of women in the Middle East at that time had babies in. And Elijah realized it's one thing to hear rain, it's a whole nother matter to birth rain, and he got down to birth that thing. And here's that prophet, he crawled in bed with death, and he crouched over it, and he began to cry out, and intercede, and beg God Shutting out failure till life came. And I'll tell you, miracles are not birth here. They're birthed in prayer. And if there is not a contending and a crying out and a praying and a sighing and a groaning, our theology of failure will only grow. The boy's body grew warm. How many of us have stopped with a warm miracle? man, honey, that, that person almost got healed today. Like, we celebrate partial failure. I mean, I can't believe it. I pray for that crippled person and their toe moved. Man, I mean, I've never seen such a thing. I mean, I mean, last time I looked, Jesus, I'd rather you be hot or cold than warm. Now, obviously, I just, that doesn't fit that passage, but hear me now. What are we settling for? Well, we had the greatest service ever. Five people fell down. All five got up, not healed. But man, it was exciting. I mean, man, we're warm. We're getting closer and closer. I've been hearing that since I was saved in America. He stretched himself out on him and the boy's body grew warm. I confess, I've quit after praying once multiple times. I've quit when things have gotten warm and I just wore out and figured I wasn't going to see it. I mean, it's America. Don't work here. We've all accepted that now. We're just not going to have miracles in America. Well, from time to time, we'll get one. We could all think of one or two for sure. Hmm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room. You know what that means? He's crying out. He's waiting on God. What am I missing? What am I missing? What's happening here? What's going on? I probably just walked out and said, man, I'm sorry. His body's a little warm. I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. Not him. He determined. Death's come to my personal space. I'm shutting My excuse is out. Bible didn't say how long he paced. Bible didn't say how long. He was like honestly a lion pacing in his cage. Pacing, writhing, crying out, begging God. Then got on the bed and stretched out on him one more time. This is a little boy. Pretty hard, like we think a stretch like he laid on him. It's almost it, that don't work too well. It was a little teeny kid. But the same word crouched. He crouched over him. He began to pray. He began to cry. He would never witnessed this. I don't know about you, I've never seen a person raised from the dead. I have seen lame walk, cripples, everything. The old men of God that mentored me. Jim and I were talking, most of the older men that mentored us had all raised the dead. And Crouched down. He's crying out. And all of a sudden, the boy sneezed seven times. What was he sneezing out? Maybe just trying to get breath. Maybe he's sneezing out some sickness, some infirmity. We don't really know. But seven times is a fairly serious number in the Bible. He sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. He contended for it. He could have just said, I sent Gehazi best I can do. He's the the most anointed person on my staff. But, I mean, she's a big supporter. He's got to try. Goes in, and I think when he shut that door, he knew, he he shut Gehazi out, didn't he? He thought, oh, let me shut you out, son. Didn't even bring the mother in, which is interesting. Jesus, you know, when he first started raising the dead to a similar thing, he was like really picky who was in there. It's like when you're birthing the miraculous, There's at least in the human sense, there's something fragile. Elisha summoned Gehazi. What do you think Gehazi thought when he came and that boy was sitting up? You would have thought a miracle would have taught that boy. Call the Shumanite. The last time he had said that, was when the miracle was conceived. You remember that. He told Gehazi, what can we do for her? She was downstairs. He said, Gehazi, call the Shumanite. She's downstairs. And Gehazi came out. Come up! And that moment flashed. I remember the first time they called me up. Until you build up, you'll never go up you make a place for the miraculous, she may not find it. She walked up those stairs. God said, go in. Go in. She walked in, and there was her boy. She fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, took her son, and went out. You ever preside over a child's funeral? I have. Brett has. And we know some people just die. gods We know that. That's reality. But I'm a lot better at explaining why miracles don't happen than I am explaining why they do. I'm prophesying to you. There are multiple gifts of healing and miracles in our family. They just have to be contended for. Believe for cried out for culture's broken i appreciate apologetics i really do it really extraordinary but we need apologetics and power right now there's no better apology for the living god than a, de- than a dead person living or a blind person seeing or a cripple walking that will at least momentarily suspend unbelief so the truth can penetrate Holy Spirit, help us, starting with me. I have a whole theology of why I don't see miracles. I said for years, well, it's not my gift. I've got a gift of prophecy. Where's all the healers? Why not you know? I've, I've had every excuse. And now you stuck it right in my face. And I pray, Lord, you'd give me at 63 strength to contend for the miraculous. I need supernatural strength to contend for it, to believe for it. I'm just asking for it. I thank you for Jim and Pastor Brett and our whole generation. We've seen much. I thank you for the generations coming up, the Reggies, the AJs, the Chris's, and this whole generation, the Donnie's coming up. We want to contend for your best in a culture which says with Gideon, where are all the stories we heard? Where are all those things? Help us, Jesus, to contend for your best.